Today we're coming up with the last in our climate change series and we're thinking about this title of Where Will It All End? We began at the beginning with creation, with God creating a wonderful, abundant world and universe and giving humanity that incredible role of stewarding creation. But instead of stewarding God's creation, we looked at how Adam and Eve and how then us in their, following in their footsteps, we, we so often take more than we need or we take what we shouldn't and we can overconsume the wonderful things that God's given us. And we struggle, don't we, to be content uh, with all the beauty of creation. And rather than seeking to satisfy that deep hunger we have for God by going to God and seeking his presence, so often we'll try and just take the things of the earth, the resources of the earth, and, and fill that hunger with those things. And so we then begin to see that the planet and our, our world and our universe begins to break down. There are those heat waves that we've seen in the summers that are getting hotter and hotter as global temperatures rise. There's the huge threat to communities in the equatorial, around the middle of the earth, the hotter regions of the earth, where as temperatures rise, harvests are beginning to fail. There's the increase in extreme weather phenomenon like typhoons and hurricanes that are becoming more and more of an issue. There's the likelihood that the effects of all of climate change will hit the poorest in our world the most and the possibility of hundreds of millions of people being pushed into poverty. We're on the verge of losing numerous species of wildlife to hotter temperatures, especially those who live in the sea. If the global temperatures rise above sort of pre-industrial levels by about two degrees, then we might see the, all coral reefs disappear and the wildlife that live on them. And we're, many scientists believe we're approaching this sort of tipping point where some of the effects aren't going to be able to be reversed. But there is good news for the environment. God has a plan. He has a plan, and he's always had a plan from the beginning to reconcile all things, the whole of creation, the whole of the universe to himself in Christ. We cannot save the world, but God can and is saving it. We saw through the radical self-giving love of Christ on the cross last week that that's how our greed and our overconsumption can be battled that you and I can know we are forgiven and loved and invited back into that intimate relationship with the Father. Adam and Eve might have been banished from the garden, but we saw we've been invited back into the kingdom to rediscover our role as stewards um, and stewards of the kingdom and all of the creation that God has given us. And so that's our motivation for making the sacrifices that we're going to have to make over the coming years uh, and decades if we want to try and care for creation. And actually, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's that self-giving love of, of Christ on the cross when we see that and we, we are humbled by it and we begin to say, Lord, I, I don't deserve your love. <laughs> I, I've done nothing to deserve it. And, you know, as far as climate change is concerned, I've been part of the problem. But, Lord, thank you that you loved me enough to go to the cross for me and invite me back. And from that place of humbly accepting your love, I want to do what I can to lay my life down to care for your world. So, this morning, where is it all heading and where is it all going to end? In our passage that Charlotte read for us, there was this vision of the future that the Apostle John had. A vision of a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. And so this morning we're thinking about this coming kingdom, this coming creation. What's it going to look like? And then if a major part of this new creation is God dwelling with us, what does it mean that Jesus is going to return? What does it mean that we might have to give an account for the state of creation now to him? And finally, what does it mean that Jesus 
is making all things new. We read in that passage, behold, he who sits on the throne says, I am making all things new, present tense, here and now. So what will the new heaven and new earth look like, as far as we can tell? How does Jesus' return impact the way we steward and care for creation? And if Jesus is making all things new starting now, how do we get involved? And some stories of how that's happening um, with regards to climate change. So firstly, verse 1 of our reading, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This new creation, what does it look like? We know that in heaven there will be people, with bodies. You know, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he had a body, didn't he? And the disciples maybe didn't totally recognize him, but they, they realized that he was a real person. He, he had some sort of presence, some sort of body. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the, the Christians in Corinth and says, you know, after um, Jesus returns and after we have this resurrection, we're going to have actual bodies. We're going to be, you know, living, walking, breathing people. And then we see a, a city in our passage, you know, the New Jerusalem, this city that's coming down from heaven. So there's going to be some sort of city, there's going to be people, we're going to be in community. But that's not it. It's not just the, the city. What about the animals? Will there be animals in heaven? Well, if God created animals in creation all around us, and if he's making all things new, then it follows that there will be animals in the new creation, surely. I mean, after all, in the the flood story of Noah, you know, it wasn't just people that got on the ark, it was all the animals as well. If you read the story of Jonah, at the end of Jonah, we read that God says to to Jonah, you know, I was concerned about Nineveh because of, you know, there's about 120,000 people that live there, and also many animals. We often forget that bit at the end, but God was concerned about the animals that lived in Nineveh. In Isaiah chapter 11, there's this amazing uh, passage that tells of what the new creation might look like. There's this amazing passage. Isaiah writes, The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. There's a sense in which all of creation, animals and people, are reconciled with God in a beautiful harmony. In Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this image of a new creation with a river, of the, the river of life running through the land, and everywhere the river goes, it's teeming with, with animals and creatures of the sea. There's this abundance that we see in the new creation. It's not just people, it's the whole of creation, animals, plant lives, mountains, valleys, hills. Just before uh, writing this talk, Tom uh, Micklewright and I met and uh, we were discussing some of the ways as a church we might engage with climate change. And he told me about this amazing activity that his uh, small group had done when they had sat down and uh, they'd been asked to draw what they thought the future of the world might look like. And I thought that was actually a really powerful way. What do we want the future of the world to look like? You know, if we think about the issues of climate change and the endangered species that might not be around in a few years' time, do we, if we were to draw the future, would those animals be there? And I think it's such a brilliant way of beginning to think about heaven, about the new creation that John imagines here and, and, and kind of foresees. And all the biblical writers, they use images. It's not a detailed description, is it? But it's these images of the city and the new heaven and the new earth and... Actually, these will be teeming with creatures and wildlife. It's difficult, isn't it, to sometimes think, what's heaven going to really look like? But we can begin to imagine it. We can begin to see it. C.S. Lewis famously wrote at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia about the, the, new, the differences between the old Narnia and the new Narnia. Have any of you read the Chronicles of Narnia and sort of know the bit I'm talking about? You've probably heard it in a sermon at some point before in your lives. He writes... 
It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land, the new Narnia, was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. The difference between the old and the new, it was like the new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. There's this promise we see in this passage from John that the new creation is going to be incredibly abundant and full of wildlife and nature in the same way that ours is at the moment. But it's going to be perfected. It's not going to have the suffering and the pain that we might experience now. There isn't going to be that same way in which our overconsumption and taking from it has, has marred it. There's going to be a perfected heaven and earth. And I think the biggest difference is that God will dwell even more closely with us at the heart of it. Jesus is going to return and be fully present. Verse 3, we read, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the most exciting aspect of heaven, that God will be fully there, fully present, in ways that we can only glimpse now. Whatever experiences of God's presence we might have experienced here and in this life, with worship this morning, or with someone praying for us, or seeing a healing, or, or seeing God tangibly moving in our hearts or before us, heaven is going to far surpass that. The sense of God's walking with us, utterly close, is going to be so much more. And that's why it is such good news that Jesus is coming back. Um, in Acts chapter 1, the beginning of that, just as Jesus is going up into heaven and the, the disciples are sort of left in what I think is one of the funniest parts of the Bible, just sort of staring at the sky. It's just sort of 10 random or 11 random people on the street just looking up at the sky. And then an angel says to them, why are you still looking up at the sky? This Jesus who has gone up is going to come back in the same way. And there's this amazing promise that, that Jesus is going to return and dwell with us so much more closely than we've ever experienced. But there's also this sort of flip side of that, which is that in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul, again, writing to these Christians in Corinth, he, he talks about what's going to happen when Jesus is going to return. And there's a sort of slightly edge to it. He says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Bit of an edge to that, isn't there? And, and we can often be quick to apply judgment to, to those we dislike or those outside the church. And, but Paul is very much saying here, you know, even as believers, we, we will have to give an account for how we've lived our lives. And that's not going to be the thing that kind of gets us into heaven. Don't hear me wrong. We, we, we are accepted by God because of faith in what he's done for us. We could never earn it ourselves. But he's still interested in how we live our lives. And he's still going to return. And we're still going to have to give an account for the state of creation. And I think the best way of thinking about this for me is that it's a bit like when your parents go away on holiday when you're young and leave you in the house on your own, or when your spouse goes away for a few days and you're left on your own in the house. And uh, the, just before they leave, they might say to you, you know, while I'm away, could you just, you know, take out the trash on Tuesday evening because, you know, the dustman are coming on Wednesday, or, or could you just run the hoover around, or could you make sure you water the plants, or, or whatever. And... What can happen, apparently, so I've been told, I've never experienced this personally, is that you, you put off doing those things again and again and again and again until you get to the stage where you realize that the time is running a bit short and you may not finish everything in time. And you begin to get, you know, apparently your heart begins to get a little bit faster and you begin to get a little bit almost afraid. But that's ridiculous because you love them and you know they love you and, you know, 
but you're still, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to do something that, you, you, you want to do what they want. You want to have that obedience, want to have that love for them to, to do those, <laughs> excuse me, to do those things. And I think that's kind of reminiscent of what Paul's talking about. You know, Jesus is returning. He loves us, and we love him, and we know that he loves us, and we know that he's accepted us if we have faith in him. But there's also this sense that we want to do what we can out of love for him to care for creation. And I think one of the ways that maybe, you know, we read perfect love drives out fear, and I wonder if one of the ways of doing that is when our love for the Lord is perfect, we, we live in a way that really demonstrates that we love him fully, and we begin to seek to order our lives around his priorities. And I think that's what we're aiming for with these, all these issues of climate change. We're not aiming to just keep putting the issues off for a future generation to deal with. We're not just always aiming to sort of, okay, well, I'll get around to that when I can and hope that Jesus doesn't return too soon. I remember uh, at university, our uh, pastor was talking about holiness. And he said, for many of us, holiness is like walking along a cliff edge. You know, we know there are things in our lives we shouldn't be doing, and yet so often we will walk really close to the edge. But as long as we're not sort of falling off the cliff, we're okay. So, you know, maybe we, we know there are things that we might not, the Lord might not want for us. Habitual shopping for things that we don't need or we just want. Throwing away things when they still work, but we really want the new thing, so we ditch the old thing to name a couple of climate change issues. Or, or at university, it was excessive drinking, getting drunk. It was engaging in sexual relationships outside of marriage. And instead of running the opposite direction of those things and trying to order our lives about doing the, the good versions, we, we can walk along the cliff edge. We can end up in that place where we kind of flirt with temptation. We say, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to the pub with those people again, but this time it'll be different. Or for a kind of climate change example, you know, I'll, I'll convert to a green energy tariff. I'll, re, I'll go to renewable energy, but when, when I've got a bit more money coming in the bank, so it's not as much of a financial sacrifice. Or maybe I'll, you know, I'll get that. When I've got the next phone, then I'll stop. Then I'll stop upgrading sort of every six months or whatever it is these days, and I'll just hold on to that one for a few years so I don't keep using resources. Instead of running in the opposite direction, we can so much live life kind of on that cliff edge. Now, for all of us, tackling areas of climate change in our life is going to be a journey. You know, we are not going to be able to change everything in one day in our lives. This is going to be something we grapple with in the months and the weeks and the years to come, and something we're going to get better and better at. And we're going to keep this conversation going. You know, this might be the last in sort of this short series, but in January, in the last two weeks of January, uh, Tom and the Green team are going to host an evening here, um, looking into these things even more and having a few people kind of on a panel discussing things and thinking of different ways in which we can begin to apply this more and more. But even though it might be a journey, it doesn't mean we can keep putting off the start date. We have to begin. And when we know how much an impact our lives are having on the environment, I wonder if in a few years we'll be looking back and thinking, why didn't we do more earlier? We knew that there were issues that how we lived were going to impact the environment. Why didn't we start earlier? But the good news is that if we face up to these things, if we confront them, there is help. Because in verse 5 of our reading, we read, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. It's present tense. It's here. It's now. It's this image of Jesus actually beginning to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven here and now. Now, just after the, pa the, the passage with a bit of an edge that I read from 2 Corinthians, 
Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. God wants to make all things new and he wants to start with us. The new heaven, the new earth, the kingdom of God is coming now. It might not be fully here yet. There's that not yet element, isn't there? We look at kind of the, the end of time when Jesus returns and everything is made fully new and there's that kind of completion But here and now, we're beginning to see the kingdom break in. And if we want to take these issues seriously and lay down our preferences and our comforts for the sake of our brothers and sisters around the world who are even more affected by climate change than we are, the thing we need more than anything is that transformative power of the Spirit at work in us to bring about the kingdom. Many of us will know what that might look like um, in certain ways. So we'll have um, hopefully even more stories in the, in the coming weeks uh, of answered prayer. You know, when we, we've, we've taken a step out of faith and we, we pray for someone, we see a healing, we say, that's the kingdom breaking in. Or we um, just feel moved to, to talk to someone that we haven't talked to before and we have a really good conversation. There's, there's something of the kingdom. Or, or we do something uh, sacrificially generous for someone. Maybe we take an angel meal around to someone and we think, oh yeah, the, the kingdom of God is coming there. Or this morning in worship, that sense of God's presence, the kingdom of God is coming. So what does that look like for the environment? Where do we see God's kingdom coming in the environment and environmental issues? I've got a few stories. A friend of mine uh, from university after graduating was a youth worker uh, at a church up in Durham for a while, but her real interest was in caring for the environment. And so she began looking into food waste, particularly the waste that supermarkets kind of produce when things pass their kind of best before date. Because they can't sell them, they just throw them away. Even though they're still very edible and you can still kind of use them. And to cut quite a long story short, they set up a uh, not-for-profit kind of social enterprise and they began intercepting food from the supermarkets that was going to, to waste that didn't need to. And they began making, making meals with it. And they set up a cafe. And so all of a sudden, they're setting up a cafe and they're, they're bringing, asking people to come and work for them who might struggle to find a job otherwise. And, and they were beginning to serve these amazing meals. They, they even did a wedding. They, hoped they kind of did the catering for a wedding out of food that was going to waste. And it was an amazing example of kind of people living out their faith in a way that was caring for creation and providing real kind of, that, that kind of redemption. You know, food that was going to waste now put to really good use. And then um, John, a member of our congregation, was telling me about his son, Joseph, who uh, apparently was in Naomi's youth group at St. Mary's in London. And um, he is an architect, and he's been working um, on some projects in India where he's looking at whether they can uh, scale down massively the energy consumption of air conditioning units to, some, to a fraction of the, of the cost at the minute. If you think about the knock-on impact of that, that is incredible. The, the way in which they might be able to use far less energy to kind of keep air conditioning units going. Even something like that is something of the kingdom. It's something of caring for creation. And then there are farmers uh, like Harry Frederick, who I've been speaking to, who's telling me about the way in which their farm are seeking to prioritise caring for the environment. And so they're, they're leaving fields as grass, which is a really good thing for the environment because it keeps the carbon in the soil. And actually, they're, they're having sheep who are keeping it, which is actually kind of... Often we can demonise livestock, but actually if you, having the sheep kind of graze the fields and keeping the carbon in the ground is a very kind of good thing for the environment, caring for the environment different ways in which people are seeking to prioritize these things in their lives. Um, 
on a slightly smaller scale, um, my Facebook feed is often full of friends of mine uh, from Vicar School who were always sharing kind of discount codes for renewable energy providers. So constantly getting this influx of kind of join up with Bulb or join up with Good Energy or go green on your tariff. They're just different ways in which people are beginning to enact this. And we actually see the church stepping in to do something to model what it means to care for creation and see the kingdom come. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to his disciples, Seek the kingdom, and everything else will be given to you. So how might we do it? Well, firstly, prayer. We pray. We bring these things to God in prayer. We begin to ask for his help to transform us, to change our attitudes, to show us what things we might be able to do, where the kingdom might be coming around us. And then secondly, we, there's this wonderful phrase in Zechariah, don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, if we're gonna, we have to start the journey, but we can start small. Um, maybe there's just one or two things after today that you could think about doing or doing differently. Where does my food come from? Has it, has it traveled a long way? Could it come from somewhere more local? Could I switch to a renewable energy supplier? Could I reduce, reuse, recycle more? Or maybe you want to join the green team. They're looking for volunteers. They would love to hear from you if you would like to get involved with that. Or sign up for the coffee cup pledge that you'll have seen come around in CC News. About 60 of us have now signed up to that um, to bring in reusable cups so that we don't keep um, throwing disposable ones away. Or you might just want to say to a friend, would you help me and keep me accountable for doing this? Ask me how it's going. Ask me how my progress is getting on with trying to go greener. There are so many things we can do, and what I would love to encourage you in is not to get overwhelmed by the, the scale of things that we could do, but to ask God where we can start today. What things can we do today, this week, this month? It's a journey that's taken Sarah and I you know, at least a couple of years to begin to get to grips with some of these things, how we might travel less or how we might switch energy supplier or change our diet. They're things that do take time but they're things that we can do together as a community and things that we can begin to encourage each other in that actually it is going to have an impact and we are going to see more of the kingdom coming in the environment through what we do. There was a great quote that says, we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. And so third and finally, we ask the Spirit to help us. God is looking at our hearts. When he returns, he's going to be looking at our hearts. And so let's offer him our hearts and ask him to transform them, ask him to move in our hearts, to change our attitudes, to begin to challenge some of those strongholds of comfort or, or insecurity we might have that might stop us from really stepping out and, and taking a risk in how we live life. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us that foretaste of the kingdom and who's going to be dwelling with us now, here and now, and beginning to make all things new. So as we end, let's just take some time now to ask the Spirit, what is it that I can do today? What is it that you can help me to change in life so that I can see more of your kingdom come, Lord, in the here and now? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for how you have been with us this morning. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you will dwell with us so closely, when all pain and suffering will be gone, where tears will be wiped away. And Lord, where all of your creation, us, your animals, your creation, everything we see will be renewed and made whole and healed 
And Lord, show us how we can begin to get involved in that now. Show us the things in our life where we're having an impact that we, may, we probably don't want to have on the world. Give us hearts that will love you and love your creation and give us wisdom to know what to do. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.